to Make That Paper, the show where we talk about all the crazy jobs we do to make the cash we need to pursue our artistic dreams. And to buy vodka, because that pursuit can take a while. We're talking about the driving around town trade or the party starter profession, or occasionally the old call center calling. We are your hosts, Jamie Parker Stickle. And Jason Bieber. And on this episode, we are talking to a fellow whose IMDb page could wear out the scroll wheel on your mouse. You've seen him on shows like The Kids Are Alright, Six Feet Under, and Hannah Montana, the show and the movie. But Bieber, you've seen him in a whole lot more, haven't you? Yep, this guy was in the very first play I acted in back at the University of Southern California. And we got to work and hang together a bunch back then. And now, thanks to the coronavirus, we are finally able to hang once again. Yay! That's not actually how social distancing works, guys. Okay, whatever. So without further ado, please welcome to the show the extraordinarily talented and hardworking and just generally wonderful Michael Cornaccia. Yay! Yay! But I, I just want to say something really fast. I feel like I'm one degree away from being friends with Michael Cornacchio. Like everyone I know or have ever met is like, oh, do you know Michael? Do you know Michael? Do you know Michael? And I'm like, Hollywood knows Michael. <laughs> like everyone knows Michael. Everyone does know Michael. He's, he's, he's the guy to know. He's he, the guy to know. That's funny. <laughs> well, now, you're, now you're literally the rest of this conversation away from being friends with Michael. I'm going to be friends with Michael by the end of... I hope so. This is kind of a test. Oh, well... <laughs> <laughs> all right all right so you have you are a prolific actor you are prolific at creating your own content you are out there i'm not just you know making it up when i say everybody knows you everybody knows you you can't go anywhere where somebody doesn't know you that all being said you still side hustle like a maniac and i can't even get over some of the jobs you've done yeah the truth the people who do know you and people, I mean, I, I've worked with you at USC. I've done your stand-up show. Granted, you weren't there, but I've done your stand-up show. <laughs> and and uh, and and yet, you know, when we were talking to in one of our very first episodes of this show, we were talking to uh, one of our first guests, Lisa Gottman, and she said, "You know who you have to have on the show." In the middle of the show. In the middle of her episode, where we're talking about her stuff. <laughs> And she fun. has a, she's got a lot of side hustles. She got a lot of side hustles. Oh, but yeah. she said, yeah, she says, you need to talk to Michael Cornaggia because that motherfucker has side hustles. And I just want people to know right now he's side hustling for his dogs. Yes. I right, right now, as we speak, we're vamping as he like, you know, cleans up after <laughs> super pad. Yes. <laughs> that is Corona. Oh, hello, oh. sweetheart. Yes. That's Miss Bella. Doing the show with us. Bella. Mm-hmm. Hey, lady. This is like, yeah, those are mine. We've got groomed. Aw. We've got Beaker and Polly here, and they're not nearly as chill. No, well, they are. They're Polly's chill. They're on my feet. Oh. oh. What are you talking about? I'm talking about Mr. Quick Clack. All right. All right. Let's get to it, because I really, I mean, you didn't even list on here the thing that, like, really just made our year. And I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it, so I'll edit it out if we're not. But you did, you do Santa Claus at Christmas. Yes, you did totally talk about Santa. Yes, I've been doing Santa forever. But this year was a little different, wasn't it? Yeah, well, it was all about Zooming it. Zoom. So it was a socially distant kind of Christmas. Yeah. So my friend was like, why don't you do 
uh, some, why don't we do some Zoom Santas? And, and my friend Christina Hayes, she plays Mrs. Claus. So we just sat around on uh, around the Christmas time and would do Zoom calls with um, people who wanted their kids to meet Santa, but obviously couldn't go to the mall. So, and yeah. like uh, some people I know over there. And it was awesome. It was the first time in my life that I did Santa where you didn't have to worry about having pants. So yeah, cool. it, yeah. Our kid was like, wow, Santa knows how to zoom from the North Pole. I mean, <laughs> I don't think he would have enjoyed it in the mall as much as he did. Well, he went to the mall the previous year, and granted, he didn't have the pleasure of meeting you. We were out in, in, in the desert that time. Yeah. But um, but still, this was like a, a an intense one-on-one, or one-on-two, because it was you and Mrs. Claus, you and Christina. Right. We had about we were it was a half an hour with Santa Claus, and then he asked the us to go away. He yep. did this. He did this at the mall too. He was like, "I would like my parents to leave for a moment so I can have a private <laughs> conversation with you." And he did it with you guys. <laughs> now I need to know. This is not really for the show. It's just for me as a parent. Does that happen often? Uh, no, never, never. never. <laughs> the best friend, Our- solid child who is very independent. <laughs> He is very independent. Very. I mean, when he wants to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny um, and embarrassing. He knows what he needs from his parents and nothing else. That's true. That's good. Right. That's good. That means you're raising a strong child who can go out into the world at four. Yeah. It's set. He's <laughs> done. He's like, he's got well, life. Mm-hmm. Well, um it was really funny. I, this is off topic again, but I will say this about him. When he learned our names were Jason and Jamie, he was about two and a half. Yeah. And uh, he immediately knew we were at the grocery store. And he, instead of calling me mom, he said, Jamie. And I was like, yes, because he knew I talked to him. If he'd said mom, all the women would turn around. Oh if, I, if he said Jamie, he knew only I would turn around. That's so smart. Hey, so we get smart. It's a, it's frightening. <laughs> it is frightening. Okay, but we're talking about you in these jobs, and I, I I know we have so many to get through. I do want to ask a little more about virtual Santa because you know we've had a few glimpses behind the curtain of 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 mall Santa work and now Zoom Santa work, but how does it compare beyond no pants, like? It was the experience of it. It was, I mean, I have literally been doing Santa since I was in high school. So, you know, you go to someone's house normally, you have the kids sit on your lap. And even that was something I stopped or I kind of questioned because it did seem in the last few years odd to have kids, random kids sit on your lap. So I, I, (laughs) it it didn't dawn on me or anybody for a while there. So the last few years I would say, do you want to stand and, you know, or sit and give, give the child the option, you know, um, that wasn't something I had, hadn't thought of ever until the whole, like a lot of people, it just seemed odd to have the kids sit on my lap. (laughs) That's true. So that aside from that whole thing, then this pandemic happened and now there's even a a bigger wall of not only you're not sitting on my lap, but you're not in the same room as me, Um, but I'm still Santa and tell me what you want. So yes, it was, 
it was very surreal because we would set up these meetings with people, but we wouldn't be going anywhere. We would just be turning the phone on at certain times for when we would meet with the kids and they were all over the country. It was, it was very, um, I mean, thank God for zoom. I mean, this pandemic happened in a time when, uh, we do have the ability to still communicate, but be far away to prevent the virus. So that was, at least that was capable. And the kids, like you saw, as soon as they saw us, they mm-hmm. didn't have any issue whatsoever with the fact that they couldn't see us or touch us. I mean, they could see us, but not touch us or be in the same room. They bought it hook, line, and sinker. They were- Oh, really- yeah. And especially yeah. the parents would give us little notes about the kids prior. So when we would say things about them that they had no idea that we would know, they, I mean, it was just no question whatsoever. That's Santa, that's Mrs. Claus. Christmas is still on. So. It was magical. Yeah. It was magical. And, and speaking of that, you've taken um, acting to the next level. You've created... Um, well, you're you're auditioning like a madman, and you've you know put out tips for other actors on how to make your quarantine on, <laughs> um, uh, recording your um, God, you guys, I'm so fucking tired tonight. Um, just the day took a lot out of me. <laughs> for fuck's sake, what was I saying? Oh, Are recording you your auditions. auditions. Yeah, <laughs> good thing of the word. Yeah, it was. It's awesome. Yeah, that's a whole other like. I am on a veil for a commercial that I auditioned for in my car while I was working one of my side hustle gigs in Vegas. And That's the callback awesome. was on a Monday while I was doing that same side hustle for another job again in my car. And it's all because of Zoom. You know, and what side hustle is that? This is the sanitizing gig where I sat because of COVID now, productions hire set sanitizers to walk around and use an electrostatic spray gun to sanitize high touch areas that oh my god do. so they hire us now there's a whole COVID compliance team that's on call sheets and a call sheet is what you get when you have to show up for production and it tells you you know what it is but in case your listeners don't know yeah i appreciate it going yeah. on for the day and for the very first time they have an actual COVID compliance department there's a COVID compliance officer. There's training. I actually went through some of it. And and they pay you. <laughs> some of it? Do well, they pay you through, is it SAG compliance? So no, you're working no, through. No. This is all, no. I mean, SAG, you know, requires, I'm assuming that there's COVID compliance, but to yeah. actually have me. There's a COVID compliant officer which makes sure people are wearing their masks, make sure people are wearing face shields. If actors or models aren't wearing their masks or, um, and then there is me and I walk around if the production wants to go to that extra step and sanitize different areas throughout the day with an electrostatic spray gun. That's crazy. Yeah. And you got sent to Vegas to do, uh, yeah, there was a commercial being shot out there, and I got uh, sent out there to sanitize their set. So I was in Vegas, and I drove three hours to get there. And as I'm getting food right before I'm going to sleep, I get a text message from my agents that I have a voiceover audition the next morning or the next day. <laughs> so the next day, I have to tell production, hey, can I steal away for a few moments to go and audition for this in my car? And yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, auditioning with the boomer generation in general is interesting. Auditioning with the boomer generation in uh, a Zoom or Blue Jeans is another app that they use is a completely different. Oh, how do I? I'm sorry. Wh- can you hear me? Uh, where is the script? I, I, I can't print the script. And you're like, just read it off your phone. I feel like sometimes that's me and I'm not a boomer. I feel like, I feel like you, you're, you're just a very, very, very young boomer. I, I feel like I'm a young boomer sometimes. Especially when my husband tells me how old I am. But the thing is, um, yeah, it was hell. You know, and I'm like in this audition trying to get back to work, you know, in my car. And I'm done. I'm like, okay, I'm never going to hear from these people again. And then they hit me up uh, Super Bowl Sunday, which I'm not even watching the Super Bowl because I'm gay. Not that gay people don't watch the Super Bowl, but this gay guy doesn't. And I'm like. This straight guy doesn't either. Yeah. I was like, I don't even know who's playing. It's fine. And we both went to theater school. I think that's the common denominator. That's about it. Yeah. (laughs) And they're like, so you have a callback. And so I went to the callback again. I was working that side hustle, but for another job in LA and I had to ask them, can I, you know, leave for a few moments to go in my car for this callback. And uh, I found out today. And then the best part is in the middle of my audition, my phone stopped working or the sound went off and the director saw that I was in my car. He's like, are you driving to Tahoe? I was like, no, I'm on my lunch break. That's where I'm at. <laughs> but I just want to say, I just want to say something like before pre COVID and I don't know how it will be post COVID, but pre COVID, like you had a side hustle and a side hustle be damned. You had to drive an hour to get to an audition, get on set, fucking do your shit, get back to your car and get back to your side hustle. And it was stressful. This was, this was a blessing. It was like, you don't have to, I was in Vegas (laughs) with LA actors on a, you know, I mean, that in itself was I couldn't believe it. You know? never book out again. Yeah. it was, And then the next, and then the callback, I was in LA, but I had to work. So I could leave work for a few minutes, go into yeah. my car audition. And you couldn't do that. You know, you couldn't do that. You, can do that. you know, I just was thinking about it. And even though I'd like to be there, I, I have a teaching fellowship at ASU this month um, for writing. And, um, I would have to be there to teach in person were it not for COVID and the yep. whole, th- the, the whole thing I get to do online, which is sort of, you know, I have a five and a half year old. So it's like a, sort of a blessing to not have to travel to a different state, get myself put up, you know, like deal with all that. I can just do it from here. And it's just like, why aren't we doing this all the time? Well, we do it from the comfort and chaos of our own homes. Sure. Well, the same thing happens with, uh, these auditions now, aside from them being Zoom, you can, you know, there a ton of them are just record yourself and send it in. And so you have the ability to control right. what they see. I mean, you see yeah. the final audition. Oh my God. You can, you can do where they give you two tries in the room. You can do seven times until you get it. I have a very funny LA actor story. Apparently, my neighbors got stuck in an elevator, in my condo's elevator, and I needed to do a full-on body shot, and I do that in the hallway. So they, it's easier for me to shoot when they want to see how tall you are. They want a full shot. So I went into the hallway while my the fire department 
We're trying to get my neighbors who were stuck for two hours out of the hallway. Oh, the elevator. And like, um, how long are you going to be here? Because I need to do a full body shot. <laughs> and the, the fireman was like, what? And I'm like, oh, you know what? I'll just go to the other end. And then I found out that they were stuck in the elevator. I felt so terrible. I literally interrupted them trying to free you because I had an audition shot that I needed to get. How I mean, it sounds like could that be? I was mortified. You could have asked the fireman to take your picture. I really could have. So can you stop trying to free my neighbors and just get my head just, to go? Thank you. Yeah, real quick. Real quick. Um, so No, I don't need to sleep. I sort of feel like I sort of feel like you are an LA story. Like I said, everybody knows Michael. Like you can't I was doing stand up and people are like, Oh, you know Michael Carnaccia? And I'm like, Yeah, not personally, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, fuck the guy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, teasing. I'm totally teasing about the fucking like, legend of Michael Carnaccia. <laughs> you were a legend for so long. And I was like, What the hell is with this Michael Carnaccia? And then I found out while I was doing stand up, somebody said, Oh, I said, well, yeah, well, where is this guy tonight? I, you know, like I thought he was going to do a set tonight or something. And they go, oh, he's driving around strippers. Oh, Let's talk about that side hustle. <laughs> True story. I was like, where is this guy? He's driving around strippers tonight. Let's talk about it. Yes. It was right around 2008 or nine when like the economy crashed. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, uh, I need to make some more money. And a, uh, a, a, a fellow... A friend slash psychic friend of mine was like, oh, well, I know this woman who has a company with with dancers and you would just have to drive dancers around. And they were You're thinking it's like bar classes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, it's just a, and it was great for me because it was a night gig. So I could audition during the day and I would drive these women around and they loved me because I was gay because most of the drivers wanted to try to have sex with them when they were done. Yeah. Oh God! And I did not. So they were always like, "Let's go with Michael." And but I had some crazy experiences. I mean, insane. Such as. Such as. Well, you know, I got well. One experience was that uh, I dropped uh, two ladies off to dance, and mm-hmm. to a fraternity party or a bachelor party, and they all thought that these women would have sex with them all for two hundred dollars. $200? When they didn't, I drove away. Uh, you know, I had to get these women away. And then they ended up following me and chasing me. And I ended up doing a Dukes of Hazard jump in the car because oh I hit a pothole and just <laughs> the car. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, that was a big nightmare. And, and this was, and you were driving a, a limo? No, I was driving, uh, no, I was driving a regular car. Yeah. Right. Okay. But not your car. It was, no, 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 it was. It wasn't my car. No, it was my mother's oh, okay. car at the time. Your mother's- oh, God. <laughs> what kind of car? What, what kind of pay were you getting? My car was kind of old. It was great pay. I can't remember exactly, but, the, but, you know, that happened. And then one day I dropped the ladies off at a hotel and I got arrested. <gasps> you got arrested? The thing. They were like, you know, um, they brought me in and I was like, what's going on? They're like, well, this young lady offered us a hundred dollars to have sex. And I was like, really? I she just turned down 200 at this other party. Well, yes. Oh, this is a <laughs> yes. 
And long story short, I had to go and they they tried to charge me because technically I would bring the ladies up to wherever I needed to take them to make sure mm-hmm. that the room was safe. There was nobody else other than the person who was paid for them. And then I would leave. But according to the police, I was a guard. That was some kind of, and in, in order for me to be a guard, you need to have something called a guard card in Los Angeles, which oh, I God. So they gave me a ticket for not having a guard card. The only thing they could charge me with. And then when I went to court, the DA's office tried to charge me with aiding and abetting a prostitute. I remember talking to my public defender. Yes, I had one of those. And I said, are they calling me a pimp? And she looked at me and she was like, "Uh, no, not yet. And I was like, oh my God. Luckily, the DA dropped the charges and I got to walk away and there was no issue and I never worked for them again. And the guy who I worked for called me up what months later and said, we really want you to come back to work. You are our best driver. I said, I crashed my car and got arrested. What are the other drivers doing? Driving the women <laughs> off cliffs? What is happening? <laughs> So, um, I never so went you back went back to work. to work? No, no, no. My mother was very happy that I quit that job. <laughs> but like, what's a guard card? That is like legalizing the pimp. It's like here, if, as long as you have a card. No, they were basically saying you weren't even allowed to work unless you had this specific card. It was just another. The thing is, they spent all of this money, all of this taxpayer money, trying to bust hookers, and they didn't. So the only thing they could do was give me whatever they had to justify the bus. Right, right. You know, they mm-hmm. spent all this money. They rented a hotel room. All these police were there. I mean, it was kind of insane. It was kind of like a television show, which is interesting that my life is a television show. And what right. I do is audition for television shows. What, why aren't we fo- having a camera crew follow you around and like theme music every time you walk? I'm, I'm not sure we sh- this I should know. be happening. People say and- to me, why didn't you write it all down? I go, because it hurts. Oh, <laughs> well, I just have something to say that's off topic, but prostitution should be legalized. There's no oh, reason to be spending any money on the sex business. I- I've met some wonderful people. Yeah, well, they were I have wonderful ladies. This woman goes, Michael, I've never met anybody like you. And I was like, that's impressive because you are, you've met a lot of people. <laughs> How long were you driving them? It was only a few months, like six months or so. And then that's when the bust happened. And I was like, you know what? I'm kind of done with this. That was very stre- a stressful point in my life because it was on a Friday when I went to court. And that's when the P- public defender said, you have to come back because the DA is amending the charge. So an entire weekend went by where I wasn't sure what the f- was going to happen. You know, if I was going to have to sure. get a real lawyer, fight this thing, spend all this money. And luckily when I went back, the DA themselves had dropped the case because see the DA's office is separate from the DA. The DA's mm-hmm. office looks at things and says, okay, this is what you can do. And the DA determines whether or not it's worth it. It's worth it. Right. right. So luckily mm-hmm. this, obviously not worth it was not worth you know i'm a white man come on i was just gonna say well you're white so (laughs) it wasn't really gonna like i laugh but i laugh because it's true well i think it also freaked them out when i said i don't understand what's illegal about this i filled out a 1099 (laughs) (laughs) did you i reported my earnings for like okay no criminal (laughs) (laughs) i have all my dealers fill out 1099s um i reported everything um 
That is crazy. So, okay. So this is, this is around the time that people were really throwing Michael's name in my face. And I was like, God damn it. (laughs) Like you did have the coolest job. So I'm sort of feeling, God, I wish we were friends at that point. Oh, well, then there was a friend that was cultivating medical marijuana. I had an issue with the police at that point as well. So, you know, you know. Wait, what happened when you were cultivating medical marijuana? My brother and his and his roommate uh, bought a medical marijuana dispensary. And uh, they asked me to, well, they actually- and This was pre-legalization. This was well, this medical. Was, this was all medical. It was before it was like, anybody can smoke it. Now anybody can smoke it who's over 18. This is when you had to have a, a recommendation from a doctor stating that you needed to have, that you could smoke medical marijuana, right? This was in okay. 2007 was when it became like, hey, we'll create collectives that you can cultivate. And then by the time we started in 2010, that's when dispensaries are just popping up everywhere. And so they asked me, hey, we built a marijuana grow room, but the person who was supposed to grow can't anymore. And we don't want to rely on somebody else who's going to leave us. So we want to keep it in the family. Can you learn how to cultivate? So for four years, I cultivated marijuana. And that was the most stressful experience in my life because it wasn't just like a room that people grow in a closet i had a warehouse i was growing in dwc deep water culture i was like literally growing forests in rooms and going to auditions covered in resin not that i was high but i was like covered in resin because i'd go through my rooms trimming and cutting and you know cultivating and it's not just like oh you you know people think it's super easy it was a full-time everyday job i mean i was going to that job on christmas day because the plants don't know it's christmas they still want to eat you know but you're like a horticulturist oh i was and i literally because i have ocd so that was perfect for me because you have to make sure all these things are right from the temperature to the water levels to the nutrient levels to the ph levels i mean all of that and um, I brought my mom in once to one of my rooms and she saw my beautiful room and she was like, Michael, you're a farmer. <laughs> and I said, I am. And I gave her a pair of scissors and I go, and I need you to trim. Oh, yes. Wait, you have a twin brother, right? Yes, fraternal. Is this your twin brother who hired you? Oh, yeah. Yo, he's the one who hired me. He made me do it. Hired me. <laughs> hey, Michael, you're, you're, you've got OCD. Let's capitalize on that. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. So, but it was, it was a great experience. I mean, I literally had never had a job like that before. There were moments where, like, I would have 20, 30 people under me while they were trimming and and you know i had a few other guys under me while we were growing and you know it was it was certainly a big operation experience yeah were you salaried did you have benefits that was yeah of course no it was based (laughs) on what i could grow and how we could sell it so that's what it's very stressful it sounds like you were like big time though and i mean sounds like an operation that had the potential to make you some pretty decent money some really good money eventually it took a while and then we were robbed and then you were robbed and you and went to jail. $100,000 worth of our product. No, the p- police did come, but because we had the proper documentation, there was no issue. But the problem was 
we built part we built rooms that weren't uh you know coded so the mm-hmm. police didn't care that we had weed they cared that you know i had pump plumbing that wasn't coded properly and the coding officers who are look just like police officers they come a few days later and they say oh that wasn't coded that's illegal plumbing and i go what are you talking about illegal plumbing that's just a pipe with water running through it and he goes sir that is the definition of plumbing <laughs> <laughs> We have um, a friend that same, a similar, well, similar situation happened. They had a warehouse too. It was a three-man enterprise. Uh-huh. And um, the, they had all their proper paperwork, lawyers. They were, you know, um, they had their business license. They had everything was, all the paperwork was there. And then the feds came and the feds are like, nope. That doesn't matter. Yes. Luckily, the feds never came to me. The feds can come in because federally it's still Illegal. illegal. Exactly. He had a lawyer and he was like, it's not, it's not illegal. It's not legal. It's defensible. (laughs) It's decriminalized. But yeah, so that, you know, and eventually, you know, that, that part of my life ended, but I did learn a lot. There's no question about that. That so, would be so you have something to fall back on. You can go into farming. Yes, I can. That's great. Love if acting, love cucumbers. Yeah. Well, we we have friends who do that too. Although I think it's lettuce. <laughs> Ruth and uh, Tino. Oh no, it's cocoa beans. But yes, it's also fresh. It's also they were growing they hydroponic were growing. lettuce for the yeah. cruise ships. Yeah. You know that's yeah. what you do. I mean, the, the they figured out how to grow hydroponically marijuana. Yeah. Based off of tomatoes, so yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge business. Our, our friends went to Belize to do it, and with Belize, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they've been there, and now five, six years later, a super successful um, operation, um, which is just extraordinary. Okay, okay, but let's back up for a second. We're not talking about Belize. And by the others. way, I'm like completely off on the timeline here. Um, but I think that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> we don't have to be on a timeline unless we want to talk about, well, we know what he's doing now. Right now he's working as a set tech sanitizer, but you don't understand Michael like is a voiceover king. Like he does tons of animated voiceover. He does, we see you in commercials constantly, mm. um, which for a lot of people that's bread and butter, but not for Michael. He's like, no, I need, I need a meritocracy. Did I use it right? You did. You did. Well, not really, but I still, it's great to hear you say it. <laughs> He needs a meritocracy job. Yeah, I just feel like you can't really just always... Acting money is great, but you should always have a constant flow of something else because... It's so sporadic. Even like people have like other jobs, restaurants, or other, you know, cameo. Yeah, okay. I will never do that. I mean, I can't. Not that I think. Well, you don't have to. You you are the king of cameo. You're making videos for people. You made just a wedding video. um, A birthday video, yeah. A birthday video of the birthday sketch. A birthday sketch for somebody's birthday. Well, my friend was like, "Hey, my husband's birthday is coming up." I, I really wanted to do something with Santa, but you know, what do you, can you do one of your mafia characters? And I was like, sure. 
So I brought my friend Christina in and she and I dressed up as this Italian couple and we did a whole 15 minute video where we were this Italian couple acted like he was with us talking to him to the camera and I do magic. That's a huge part of it. And so I did some magic tricks during it and uh, she loved it. In fact, tonight is the night she was going to show it to him. So I'm excited to hear what his reaction was. Super. So I just want to tell everybody, I'm going to plug this. Michael is available to make your short films come true. You don't have to go through Cameo. Yeah. We will put a link to Michael and you can negotiate. Well, I don't have an issue pricing. with Cameo. If anybody does Cameo, I think that's more power to you. I just. Uh... Totally. Well, it's huge with celebrities. You know, really during quarantine, I could not believe how many, like, I know. celebrities are on Cameo asking for like $1,000 to wish you a happy birthday. And I just no, thought, I, it was, wow. I know. I, I Mm -hmm. I mean, it's insane. It's kind of absurd, now, but I like it. You mentioned that you do magic and, yeah. you know, actually it was when we were doing red noses uh, <laughs> that you, uh, it was the first time you mentioned to me, and I never knew this before about you, that you, even back then, were, you did clowning and kids' birthday parties and magic. Yeah. And so you've been doing that gig for. Ever. I started learning magic tricks when I was a closeted homosexual growing up in the 80s in the suburbs of Philadelphia. So oh, I, I didn't realize the two were directly related. Yeah, well, they are. They are. It was just a way to cover, keep covering up the fact that I was gay. But, <sighs> um, uh, I learned professional I, flamboyance. For exactly. My, uh, my uncle uh, showed me my first magic trick, and then I was obsessed. And I just started learning. And then a friend of the family bought me a book and then that was it. I just started reading it and practicing hours and hours in the mirror. And that's pretty much when I got to college, I met all my, everyone I met, I would show magic trick too. And I'd walk around. I was that guy walking around with cards in his pocket, silks, fake thumbs, you know, stuff. Mm -hmm. like that. And, uh, but then I eventually stopped doing it as the years went on. Um, and I would do kids parties but, you know, the magic for those were always a little elementary, so it wasn't too hard. And then um, I started doing improv recently with my friend Christina. We were teaching it before the pandemic to children. And I started, like, to fill time or whenever we needed something, uh, yeah, to fill time, I would do magic for the kids. And she was like, oh, my God, you're incredible. And uh, then we started – that's when the pandemic happened, and that's when Zooming started happening. And we started doing uh, this conductor, my character that I do, where I dress up as a conductor and I do kids, kids uh, entertainment and I would do magic during that. And that's pretty much how it started. Uh, and then I also work at a private park in Agora Hills, which is uh, an area outside of Los Angeles. For those viewers who don't know, it's, it's uh, about 20 minutes outside or about an hour outside of LA. It's in the mountains hour. of Santa Monica. And there was a private park up there that I've been working at for a few years. But with the pandemic, they had to rearrange their entire program. And a lot of the stuff that they would do, they couldn't because of the pandemic, like the rides that they have. So I could do socially distanced magic, which I didn't really tell them about. My friend told them, hey, Michael does magic. And then they jumped on it. And I started doing magic this summer. So I jumped, I started really doing more and more magic because of the pandemic, because it's easier, not easier, but it's more safe to do than having kids jump in a bounce house together. They can oh, yeah. themselves separately and watch me do magic. So that is when it really started jumping up again into my life or not jumping up when I started doing more and more magic. 
Because Are your skills oh. sharp? Do you find like you still got it? Yeah, yeah, I'm incredible. I will never be. Yeah, no, there's no. I mean, I, I'm obsessed. I'm obsessed over it. So yeah, no, I know. What Our I'm kid, doing. that's. I mean, to the state talks about the magic you did. Yeah, yes. Santa, and he was. Just, he's like, you don't understand. There's a coloring book, and there was no color on it. And then he kept saying it, and he kept doing it wrong. And I had to help him, so I actually did the magic. And then there was the magic, <laughs> and then it was color, and then it was gone. I mean. He's like, this is his life now. That's great. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, he still does. I mean, every single day will come and do magic tricks for us. Um, now, a big part of his magic is telling us like, that we now have to close our eyes. Right. <laughs> but it's all because of you doing no, magic. He's like obsessed. No, I've had a lot of people tell me their kids would do like tricks based off of the stuff that I did. I think it's great. I think magic is a, it really helped me. It did help me. And I think it's great for people to get involved with it. So you've, in addition to driving exotic dancers around town, you've done some other driving. You've done some, uh, some Uber, some Lyft, some Postmates. Um, and so, so your mom's car has really been. Uh, <laughs> yeah, not all was a mom's car. No. <laughs> those, those, um, those app-based delivery services are fantastic for actors. I mean, we're always looking for jobs that allow us to audition. And yeah. now there was the ability to drive whenever you wanted to. And I, there were moments where I would literally drive in between auditions. It was... Hoping it, that one would take you, a, a job would take you from one audition to the other. Or I'd just be like, okay, I, can, I have a few hours where I can kill and maybe make some money. You know, mm-hmm. as an actor, you, if you don't have a steady job, one day you wake up, you're like, I have nothing to do today, no auditions. Let me get in my car, pick up some people, drop them off. And I was, I mean, you know, as long as you are a competent driver, then you, uh, you'll probably get a good tip. And I'm a more than competent driver. But I stopped doing Lyft when the pandemic happened because I just didn't want to be in the car with people. Of course. And I started, and my husband was like, why don't you try out Postmates? And that was awesome because you're not, you don't have anybody in your car. You're just driving food around. And during the pandemic, it was even easier because there was no traffic. Yeah. And- well, when, when our ba- when our when our baby was born, uh, we would to get him to sleep. We would find we would get in the car, we would drive, and that would put him to sleep. And and that's when we, were, we had the brilliant idea of like, well, if we're just going to be driving around anyway, might as well do Postmates. So yeah. we did we did Postmates whenever we were driving the kid to sleep. Yeah, no couples who do it. If you have somebody helping you do it, that's mm-hmm. I mean that is uh, an incredible way to make sure that that you're getting things and going. And it's a lot more efficient. Efficiency yeah. is the name of the game. And when people yeah. say, I don't make any money driving for these apps, I'm like, well, then you're not efficient. You're not good enough. What are you driving around in circles? I mean, back in the day, we used to have a Thomas guy. You remember that? Yeah, very well. It's a big book of maps for the people who don't know. And I used but to- But it's not, it's not a map that is- that is actually cohesive. It doesn't, it doesn't unfold in it a way you'd unfold. expect. It tells you like you look up a place and then it's go and it's on page seven and it goes for directions, go to page 86. And then page 86 is like to go further. You need to go to page 99 and you like, where the fuck am I? Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's my favorite thing. I would drive around with this Bible of a map in my lap with my knees driving the steering wheel. I was trying to figure out where I needed to go when I was like doing birthday parties. Because back in the day, I'd have to map out where I was going from party to party. And cops now won't even let you look on your phone. And I was driving around with this huge book in my face. So <laughs> I think it's kind of interesting. 
Yeah. Now you just plug in where you need to go and you follow the blue line. It ain't that hard. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And you're right. You're flipping a Thomas guide around from page to page. And it wasn't like go to six to seven. It was like go page six to fucking 83. So yeah. 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 It it's wasn't terrible. These apps now, these GPSs are a godsend, especially in big cities. So you have run the gamut of gigs. Um, would you say that what you're doing now as a side hustle, the set tech um, sanitizer, is that like steady? Is that the thing that is like, this well, that, is easy? That outside of acting is the most money I've ever made and growing weed. And it's easier because I don't have to memorize anything. You know, it's just Great. showing up to sets. The hardest part is getting there early, which isn't hard. And you're sanitizing the area they're going to work at. And then you spend the rest of the day just making sure that you hit areas that are high touch. And have you ever had to tell somebody, put your mask on? Well, the good news about me is I'm a tall man and I wear a jumpsuit and I walk around with a big green spray gun. And when they see me coming, they put their masks on because they are afraid I'm going to tell them to. It's kind of interesting. I'm not. I spray them with harsh chemicals. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not in charge of telling them that. You know, the CEO is supposed to walk around and tell them that. But when they see me, they equate me with the whole COVID thing and they'll just throw their Mm -hmm. masks on. Yeah, there was a lot in the beginning when I first started a few months ago, there was a lot more hesitancy. Now I think that the crew understands they can't work if they don't follow these protocols. So it's a little easier. I think they, I mean, I think people are starting to get hip to the fact that they are very fortunate to be in one of the few industries that's been allowed to get back to work. And it's because because of the COVID compliance departments. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. While other businesses are dying out there. These days, seeing what it's like. You know, my job especially. I'd never, if you would have asked, told me six months ago I'd be doing this, I would tell you to go sit on a dick. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I, I would tell you to no, that's not it's not gonna happen, you know. But the right. fact that it is happening is pretty impressive and the money is stellar. So well, that's one of the things I've noticed um from a lot of friends who work all the time. Uh they're still taking on COVID compliance gigs on set, you know, in between uh booking acting gigs. And I think that there's something to be said for that. I think, you know, there was a point in time where taking um a gig that wasn't acting on set made you feel. Uh, oh, the rule like you were gonna... never do anything outside of acting on set. Because exactly. They, know, they will only think of you as that. As person. that thing. Right. Like I, I worked in makeup for a while and people are like, well, you're never going to be an actress now. And I was like, it's to pay my bills. And they were like, you're yeah. not going to act now. Well, the multi hyphenate in this industry, you won't make it if you're not. If you don't do multiple things, and I'm not even just talking about side hustle, I'm talking about producing, acting, directing, writing, directing, doing all of that. I mean, you know, we're competing against kids now who are making videos in their parents' basements, you know, that are getting millions of views because we're teaching people how to put on makeup. I mean, I went to USC. I I flew 3,000 miles away from my family when I was 18, studied theater graduated, auditioned, booked gigs, kept auditioning, booked gigs, and then turned around and saw kids were famous because they were in their basement teaching people how to put on makeup. And I was like, okay, that completely went over my head. But that's, yeah. the, way that's the way this industry works. Same thing yeah. happened back in the day when it went from silent pictures to talkies. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you yeah. have to be able to adapt to the changing industry. 
Right. And you don't just have three networks that you can watch television on like when we were kids. You've got right. an array of cable and you have an array of websites that you can just log on and watch things. And I'm guilty of it too. Like I'll sit and watch YouTube for hours. I won't watch television. <laughs> Well, where's your YouTube channel? You need to be oh, having a magic channel. I watch oddly satisfying videos. <laughs> and they're like just clips of cool things that you can watch over and over different things that are just like when they do the, the soap or the or the kinetic sand and they yes. like slowly slice yes. it. That like put whipped cream on cakes. You know, I'll watch right, that. Right. You just watch yeah, the, the screensaver channel. I love watching ghosts caught on closed circuit TV. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Or the Labrador Oaks. You decide. <laughs> Could somebody hire Michael to be the announcer of their show for that? Like, that was awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. I got to ask, I have, I have to ask because I, I just want to know from everybody with all these side hustles, all the work you do, flying 3000 miles away from your family to study theater, was it all worth it? Are you, is it still worth it? Yes, absolutely. Cause I really don't know what else I would do. I used to joke, like when my dad died, I kind of lost my mind a little bit. And I would, I told my sister, I'm like, maybe I should just get a nice corporate law job. And she would laugh at me and laugh at me. And she's like, you don't just get a nice corporate law job. <laughs> you go to college, you get a law degree, undergrad, you go get your law degree. You don't wake up and go, I'm going to go into law and call up somebody. And I, up and I laugh and I'm like, no, it was worth it. Because as a child, it's all I ever wanted to do. I came out here, studied what I was supposed to do, I do know, and um, I do think it was worth it. I really do. I've had some incredible experiences in Hollywood that I would never have had anywhere else. And you know, there is no job, no job like being on a set. No, no yeah. other job. Can absolutely right. There's none. Went on a set who never been on a set before. I remember taking my mom when I was shooting October Road. I took her on that set and she couldn't believe it. She was like, oh my God. Like there's just no job. You know, and it's making magic. You're making make believe happen and you're you're it's just incredible. It's incredible. Mike, thank you so much. It has been awesome talking to you and catching up, man. It's really great to see you. Oh man, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. No, thank you so much. This is great. Oh boy, Beaver. Next week is a big one. Um, how big? Really big. Like 911 big like rent big like broadway and hollywood superstar tracy toms big yes that's really big yeah this ain't no safe as